there is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using you know sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are. And you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of forward-thinking investors, I want to dive into this world. I want to help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build billion-dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors, where we talk to investors about how they look at markets, founders, and how they broke into venture. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Samara Mejia Hernandez, who's a founding partner at Chingona Ventures. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Great. How are you? I'm doing really well. I, you know, today's one of the heavy podcast days and talking to people all day. And honestly, these are the days that give me all my energy, which may not be a good thing. So I'm kind of like wired now. So I'll tone it back a little bit and we'll get into, uh, get into this show for people that, you know, haven't heard of you, aren't familiar with your firm yet for the first question, can you kind of just walk through how you broke into venture and kind of how you got to where you're at today? Yeah. So I have a non-traditional VC background. Uh, my story started in Mexico. I was born there and I immigrated to the United States at an early age. I had uh, Spanish as my first language. And so I had to learn English. So early on, I uh, didn't progress as quickly in English, but I progressed quickly in math. And that's what helped me progress in a lot of different ways in school because math is a universal language. And uh, that's what allowed me to get into the University of Michigan studying engineering. Uh, and from there, I found Goldman Sachs, which at the time it was 0405. I didn't even know what they were, but they said engineers would be great to come into finance. It was a great time to go into finance. So that's what started my internships and my career at Goldman Sachs. Um, and then I went to get my MBA afterwards, uh, and I took a class on VC called VC Lab, and I fell in love with early stage investing. So up until that point, for about 10 years, I had done public market investing, and this exposed me to the private markets. And it was a very, very different way of looking at businesses. My background is engineering. I like math. I like numbers. I like you know a lot of data to make decisions, and in venture capital, at the earliest stages when you're investing, there's very little data. So it was a very different experience for me, but I loved working with founders from the idea stage to when they get their first customer. And so I uh, was able to join a founding team in Chicago, a founding venture team here. And I was there through fund one and fund two. And then eventually I launched my own venture fund. 
So let's kind of talk about about your fund. So when you decided to start it, how did you make some of the, the the beginning, you know, core decisions? You know, were you going to invest a few checks into uh, into with you know a large amount into a few companies? You know, a lot of checks, small small you know uh, small amounts, um, and like you know, how did you decide which sector to target? How did you decide you know size of fund? Ultimately, like how did you make some of these decisions when you started your fund? So a lot of that decision came through organically through the opportunities I saw in the market. So it wasn't like one day I woke up and I was like, oh, I want to launch my own venture fund. And then I go and do it. Right. It had been years and years and years of seeing one of the biggest missed opportunities in the market. So and I break that down in threefold. So first, it's an opportunity to go earlier, especially in ecosystems that don't have mature angel networks outside of the valley Two, go with. In, go in industries and in markets that were growing, but often overlooked. And three, go with founders that didn't fit your traditional mold, mold were undercapitalized, but were growing in terms of traction, in terms of business, they had a unique perspective on a market that really, I believed would help them win and take market share. So I had been building this deal flow for many years and I had enough time where I had enough data points where I said, if I would have have invested in this company at this point, they would have gone on and raised another round of funding. They would have even had an exit, right? So I had my virtual portfolio in my head or on paper or whatever that is. And I went out to create an angel group. And it just so happens at the time I had found my now anchor investor in my fund one that was like, I'm looking to fund a fund like this. And typically the portfolio just construction is determined by your fund size in a very simple form. So it's usually you take your fund size and then you could break it down by, you know, obviously uh, check size, how much you want to do for follow on, um, you know, whether you want to lead deals or not. And, and, and uh, then there's the, the whole expenses and all that. And I think that's important because there's so many funds coming to market. There's so many people are like, I want to run my own fund. They do rolling funds. But uh, you're essentially a fund manager and meeting with founders is probably like 20% of your time. And the rest is, is helping your portfolio companies. It's fundraising, it's fund management. And so, um, so very high level, very simply, that's how I think about it. But how, you know, what Chingona Ventures in terms of our construction, our check size is 100 to 250,000 as a first check in. We typically target valuations or uh, valuation caps under a 10 million pre or under a 10 million cap. Um, we'd like to go into companies that have raised less than a million in outside funding. And uh, we, we for fund one, we're, we're putting a majority of our check up front into the first uh, round of funding. And then for fund two, we'll, we'll have a bigger reserves. I appreciate you sharing that. It honestly gives like a really, really good insight into how, I mean, how a fund manager thinks about putting together a fund. So I appreciate that. So right now, you know, it's COVID land. A lot of people are starting companies, you know, I have to, you know, I have to guess that like, you're not able to meet with every single, you know, every single founder that comes to you or that you find online. So how do you kind of look at um, like filters in deciding who to meet with? You know, are you kind of like a founder first investor market first other variables? How do you decide who to meet with versus who maybe to introduce to another investor or just pass on? We get about five to 10 inbounds per day. And that's across inbound from the websites, uh, other investors, uh, or relationships. 
And that's a significant size for a full team of one. I do have some interns that help me and they do a lot of the first screening, but the, the most obvious kind of first screen is, is it in the stage that we're in? Is it in the valuation target? Is it in an area of interest of ours, right? It's kind of like these quick screens that we, we, we check the box in. Uh, but the next screen, you know, once we do take the first meeting, a lot of it is first and foremost on the founder, founder market fit, we call it. Uh, and, you know, this is so important at the earliest stages because the founder doesn't have much, right? They, I've gone pre-product, pre-revenue. Uh, they haven't launched yet, right? And so there's a lot of kind of assessing the team and the dream, essentially. And, and people are like, okay, well, what about a founder? Many times it's uh, their background in the space. What experience do they have? Have they started a company in the space? It have um, what about them? What's this aha moment? I love hearing these stories of like, what's your background? How did you tell, or what what, what did you have to overcome? What what hustle moment did you have? We call it the chingona factor. So, uh, you know, did you teach yourself to code? Did you have to just overcome something to get this business started? Many founders have, right? But it like, how does it fit with what you're trying to do? And then, uh, then we look at early product validation. So, one of my favorite lines from one of uh, my entrepreneurship, engineering entrepreneurship professor in undergrad was, "Just get out and sell. Just get out and and try to sell your product, your idea, and before you raise any amount of money." And so we see a lot of people raising money on a deck and an idea. And the reality is that for 95% of the population of the entrepreneurship population, that doesn't happen. And so we'd like to see a lot of validation on community building on early beta customers. Has someone paid for a transaction uh, that of a product you're essentially trying to build? So we look a lot for that. So it's the founder market fit. It's the early product validation. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that VCs look at, right? So the market, is it competitive? And if it's competitive, do you have a clear moat around your business? If it's not, if it's niche, we're okay with that. We, we're not afraid of niche markets because we think we, you can take market share and grow into other verticals. Um, so what does the market look like? And then more important, and then uh, on capital, are you capital efficient? How much capital are you going to need? How much capital do we anticipate getting back? Ultimately, you make money off return. So you can have a really great business you can have a really great founder market fit, but if they're just, if you just don't see this as, you know, kind of a home run in, in, in your portfolio, it's going to be really hard to make that investment decision, which is very different from, call it an angel investor who might have a very different risk return profile. So um, we look at all that early on. And, you know, everything that you, most of the things you just mentioned are, you know, it's not so like um, quantitative, like looking at a spreadsheet, oh, blink, 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 great, you know, let's invest, just like you were kind of talking about before you got into early stage venture. So I, it kind of leads me to the question of, you know, you were really into, you know, uh, quantitative numbers. Now you're in early stage investing where it's super early. What are some things that you like about, you know, early stage investing compared to what you were doing? And if you're open to it, what are some elements that maybe like are still uncomfortable or were uncomfortable for you with this qualitative realm that you've had to like learn to um, get used to or get, get past because they're so different maybe from macro numbers? I think the biggest difference, which 
not only me, but it gets a lot of people uncomfortable, uh, is this ambiguity of it. It's this, you can literally do all the research, all the number crunching that you want, but at the end of the day, you don't have much. So don't get me wrong. I do do my own number crunching, right? If, if, uh, there's projections, there's returns analysis, there's market sizing, there's that whole thing, which is not unique to me, right? A lot of people do that. Um, but it, it is a very uncomfortable thing because especially like in engineering or other places, you have to have the right numbers. You have to have exactly, and you have the data behind it. With this, you don't have that. So there's a lot of unknowns. And especially when you run your own fund, your, or when you run your own business, your successes and your failures are all you, and you're going to make a lot of wrong decisions. And you just have to be comfortable with the fact that, okay, you, you make a decision at this point with all the information that you have. And if you made the wrong decision at some point, then you have to be comfortable with that. So I've had cases of, of that in my portfolio. And I have cases of that of like, oh, I'm glad I didn't do that type of thing, right? But that I think is the most uncomfortable thing for many people that start in this business. Um, so, uh, but on the qualitative side, one thing I will say is that this is what leads to many unconscious biases that happen from the very first check-in. So you are looking at your network, you are looking to see a business that you can relate to, a founder that you can relate with. So if I only went to Stanford and I came from Google and I have a certain family network, then most likely out of my investments will come from that. And that's kind of the challenge that you, you and others have seen in the space is that because there is that, many certain types of industries and founders and business models haven't gotten funded because of who's writing these checks. And so I believe that the more we can get you know different perspectives and different types of investors to make these investments this unconscious bias which everyone has and will continue is fine but it will lead to more uh, different types of businesses getting funded i appreciate you sharing that it, it's a conversation that needs to continue to be had and explored uh, and and a problem that needs to be you know kind of fixed or at least expanded on um so one thing that that is I've kind of spent time thinking about, which I don't have a finished thought on, is like hot markets versus like not hot markets. I'm curious, like for you, uh, what, what's hot? Maybe like creator tools are hot now. I don't know. Like 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 like, how do you kind of view markets that are really attractive? Are these are you specifically looking for founders building in these, or does the does it not really? My question is, how does the appetite of the investor market depend on kind of for your check writing ability? Um, and uh, uh, how do you think about how should a founder think about building products in hot markets or not hot markets, at least at that moment? Yeah, well, it's interesting because that question brings me back to my Goldman days. Um, we used to talk about the markets and there were some hot products to invest in at the time, right? Hedge funds, there were some alternative asset classes when, um, but then when the market went down, there was like the more conservative product lines that we would offer and all this other stuff. And so, you know, from my fund, I'm, I'm industry agnostic by nature. And that allows me to be flexible when market conditions change as we saw in this environment. I never think about it as what's hot or what's not. Um, and I actually, I love many times unsexy businesses. It, you know, I think those are sexy. 
I also think that if something a lot of if a lot of money is going into something, just like with a stock, uh, you know, it's it gets overpriced. And I'm not going to win in that. I don't believe I'm going to win in that space. Or if I do, it's something that's very, very unique and different and a different way they're playing. So when I think about the hot markets that I think are hot, that I'm interested in, are these over opportunities with these overlooked markets, with these massively growing markets. And I, you know, that I often talk about this. One example is in the Latino community, there, uh, it's one of the fastest growing demographics in the United States with the highest purchasing power. One out of every four kids born in the United States today is Latino. And why are we not building more products or, or, uh, capitalizing on this growth opportunity, right? it, it, it just, it, 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 I can't even explain it, right? It's just crazy. And I have had, I have had certain investors bring up the fact that, oh, why would people invest in this? It's, it's a niche market. And I love that. It's like, that's great. That's an opportunity for me to invest into this founder. So I think I, I see it that way. And by the way, I come from it, right? So it's a different way of understanding it. And, um, you know, another example I'll give is, for, for instance, in the femtech space, this is something we're excited about. Over 50% of the U.S. population are women, and we just don't build products for women many times. A lot of, of money has gone into fertility, which is great, right? There's a lot of fertility issues that haven't been talked about. But a woman's fertility, you know, the, when they have babies, it's like a short time frame, right? What about every other part of their life from adolescence to when they get older and then the menopause stage? And so um, I I actually often think that hot markets are ones that I try to stay away from. And if they become hot, it's probably too hot for us to invest in now. And I like looking at ones that are overlooked. And um, the last example I'll give is of EdTech. EdTech was hot in 2015. I made some investments there. It died down because the exits weren't there and whatever else. And there was two com two edtech companies that I invested in pre-COVID. One of them was in the pre-K space. One of them was targeting the post-secondary space, which hadn't, I mean, there was investments, but it wasn't huge. And obviously after COVID, those companies grew like crazy. I was actually like, oh, I don't want to invest in the edtech. There's not a lot of things here, but I really like the founder and I really like the opportunity and they have a lot of traction. And they've been they've been doing extremely well. So you never know what's going to happen in the environment um, and what's going to be the next hot thing. Well, it's funny you say that because I, I was helping out with growth for um, a YC backed uh, tech company um, earlier this year, and then COVID hit. And wow, <laughs> like we had some growth, like growth faster than I, any of us ever thought was possible. And I, I'm not there anymore, but I'm so. Uh, grateful for being able to be at an ed tech company as COVID hit. Cause I feel like I saw, I got like five years of experience condensed into six months and wow. Um, so yeah, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you sharing that. So going to the last, last couple of questions, you know, venture is pretty much unknown by like most people. Um, and a lot of founders that want to raise capital may not know the best way to do so, or they might have some blind spots. So my question for you is what are, um, what's one thing that you wish more founders knew about in regards to raising capital, talking to you, um, doing a startup that you feel like most just don't think about, um, and would be a benefit to them if they knew more about it? Venture capital has become a really hot thing over the last few years. And, and part of it is the media, um, 
you know, it, it, and maybe others kind of glorifying certain aspects of it, which some of it is true and some of it is not so true. Uh, and I, you know, when I got into this phase, it wasn't even as hot as it is as it is now. Um, and you can make a lot of money in it as, as a venture capitalist, but you can lose a lot of money in it, obviously. And one thing that I that I always tell founders as they're thinking about raising their first round of venture capital is really why are you doing this? Like, what is it that you do? You need it? Do you are you growing like crazy and you can't keep continue to grow without it? it is because there's a raising money takes a lot of time away from the business takes a lot of energy you get told no 99% of the time you have to refine your pitch and your story and all that and you might be in a certain space maybe you're a services company that where many VCs don't invest in right and and you could build a really great business and you as a founder owning 100% of your company can make a ton of money right? If, if it works out really, really well without any venture capital money, even if the exit is not in the billions of dollars. And so I always like to ask that because it's more of a you thing and that'll help you as you kind of tell your story. Um, but also when you take on venture money, there's a very different level of expectations about the business, right? People want you to grow very, very differently. They want you to pour money into certain things that you might not be ready for. And there's a lot of examples of founders talking about this. You might lose a lot of control over the business, depending on how much you raise and who's on your board and the, and the board rights. And, and not every VC investor, you know, might be a right fit for what you're doing. And I've seen people kind of kick out the CEO and, and, and you know, run, bring on a new CEO and run the business and, and all that. So, so um, not everybody does that, right? But, but there's a lot of not so great things about taking venture money. There, there are some amazing things about taking venture money if you're ready for it and if it's a right fit and it's right for the company in that, let's say you've been kind of got some early validation, you got some, you got something going, people want to pay for this and you just can't keep up with the growth. That's a great time to be like, hey, you know, I'm going to go raise venture money because all of a sudden you can pour more into, into product development, into sales, into all this other stuff. And you can go from being a $1 million in annual recurring revenue company to $100 million, right? You can bring on sophisticated investors that have the playbook for it and know how to help with hiring, with product, with thinking about exits. So there's a lot of pros and cons. And I would just, I'd like to start with the cons first and be a little bit gloom and doom because I don't think we talk about it enough. And I wish we highlighted more successes of people that started great businesses and did very, very well for themselves and didn't have to, you know, um, lose a lot of their company over time. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective a lot. As, as I'm thinking about those questions as a founder myself, I think a lot of people are. Um, so for my last question for you, how can, let's say someone, they're hearing what you're saying, you know, they, they like what's coming out, they're, they're into what you're, what you're doing. How can someone learn more about you on the internet and like learn more about your brand, your firm, you know, your, your I guess, internet presence, um, if they wanted to potentially like reach out for, you know, to, you know, potential investment or just wanted to learn more, how can they find that on, on the internet? Yeah, I can talk about me and I can talk about VC more broadly, right? So I'm on Twitter, pretty active, Samara M. Hernandez without an E at the end. But just look at Samara Hernandez and there's very few of us. And then uh, at Chingona or at Chingona VC, I have a website. I, I, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of stuff. 
So uh, you can learn about that. And mainly I post a lot of stuff about my, my portfolio companies and if I'm speaking at an event, but less of that, you know, I think if you're looking for funding, you can absolutely find me. And I have a website submission that anybody can submit it. And we look at every single submission. We try to respond to most. We do take first meetings from there. That is very important to me because of this access to venture capital that's been limited in the past. And you're seeing more and more venture funds do that, which I think is great. However, I think that, or not however, in addition, I think that as you're looking more broadly to NBC, um, I always say that if you, you know, start and you're like, great, I want to make it and I, I, I'm ready for venture capital. I think it makes the right sense, right sense. I always think about it as a sales process. I was in sales for, for many years. And by the way, I have to raise myself. So I have to do, create a process. It's got to be tight knit um, to be successful. And so what does that mean? That means having your deck ready to go, your pitch deck ready to go, getting feedback on it, having all the important points, having practiced your pitch over and over again uh, to see what resonates, right? There's many office hours, or you can talk to a lot of friendly investors or angels. And then also um, having a spreadsheet ready to go. And Jenny Fielding from Techstars does an amazing job here is that she 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 has a, a public sheet where you can download it. And it just basically talks about the investor, the fund, the check size, and why they're good for you. And that's really important because I've had people reach out to me that are like doing a series B, um, you know, life sciences business. I'm like, you've obviously haven't taken a look at our, you know, that's not what we do. We, we do for something very differently. So it makes you look, it'll make you look more professional if you reach out to someone and say, I'm reaching out because of X, Y, and Z. And then the second thing, and then the next thing is having your email ready to go. So sharing the spreadsheet with your network and saying, okay, I'm, I'm LinkedIn, so-and-so is connected, you know, would you mind connecting me? Here's a forwardable email. Make it super easy for someone to forward an email to somebody else with your deck, with your important information. Not just, hey, I saw you, nice. I'd love to chat with you about my business, but nothing else because you, you know, VCs get a ton of those. And then if you do get a meeting, right, doing the pitch and the follow-up is so key because this is what people miss. And this is what I think is missed in many sales processes is if you have a good meeting and someone asks for information or a follow-up or whatever it is, ensuring that you follow up. And if they pass, keeping them up to date on product, um, whether it's monthly or quarterly, I've definitely made investments in companies where we passed a year ago and we've kept up to date on the product and then we invested a year later. So uh, there's me, but then there's the more broader um, community and it, it's all hustle and it's all, you know, getting out to as many good investors. And I say good, good for your business stage and, and, and uh, industry to position you for success. All right. You all just got a rundown on ultimately how to run a process and how to, how to raise some venture. If it makes sense for you, that was awesome. That, that was literally like just in like two minutes, you just kind of like went through, you know, how you're supposed to do it. That's great. Um, well, I, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. I think that you've shared so, some awesome things about the industry and also a lot of tips that the listeners, uh, you know, especially some founders can take away. And, you know, I wish you the best of luck building out, you know, you know, a fantastic firm making, you know, tons of money for, for everybody and also having a lot of impact along the way. Thank you again for coming on. Thanks for having me.